title of my message is Paul's Prayer for the Ephesians and for us. Why? Because this is the inspired word of God. We just made that statement. And the inspired word of God is not only for the first century Christians, it's for the 21st century Christians, us. And so as Paul prays this prayer for the Ephesians, it's also by the inspired word of God a prayer for us. And we're going to see that Paul prays for the Ephesians not just in this chapter, he prayed earlier in chapter 1. Do you remember? In chapter 1, he had a prayer for those Ephesians and for us earlier. And his prayer for the Ephesians earlier was Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, that the revelation, they might have revelation of the knowledge of him, that the eyes of their heart might be enlarged and enlightened, excuse me, for the hope of their calling, for the surpassing greatness, for the power for us who believe. That was Paul's prayer in chapter 1. Now he prays for it again. He prays four things we're going to see this morning for the Ephesians and I, I believe through the inspiration of the Spirit for us too. He's going to pray for the Ephesians, first of all, that they might be strengthened with power in their inner man. So strength, he prays for strength for the Ephesians. Number two, he prays for the Ephesians, secondly, that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Third, he prays for the Ephesians that they might be rooted and grounded in God's love. And lastly, he prays for the Ephesians that they might be people of faith. Those are great, great prayer requests. That if we, want, if we care about people and people that we love, we could pray those four things for the people we love too. We should be praying for people on a regular basis, by the way. Do you know that? The prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. We have a saying around here, prayer changes things. And so we need to be praying for people for these four things that Paul prays for the Ephesians and for us for. We need to be praying for people that they might have strength that Christ might dwell in their hearts by faith, that they might be rooted and grounded in God's love, and that they might be people of faith. People at work, we need to be praying for those things for strength and for power and for faith. People in our family, we need to be praying for those things. People in our neighborhoods, we need to be praying for those four things. Very, very important four things. Now, it's interesting, as we go through this chapter, Paul starts intending to have this prayer in chapter 3, but then he does a dash And he spends 12 verses going back to what he talked about in chapter 2. Paul's a typical preacher. You ever heard of rabbit trails? I'm glad I'm not the only one that does rabbit trails. He starts, he's intending to pray for the Ephesians, verse 1, and then chapter, or verse 2, all the way for the next 12 verses, he goes back to what he's talking about in chapter 2. And there's a re-emphasis of what he talked about in chapter 2. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this parenthetical statement of Paul from chapter, or chapter 3, verse 2 to chapter uh, 3, verse 12 or 13. I'm just going to remind us what he told us in chapter 2. But I'm going to spend most of our time this morning on the prayer. And I think that's what we need to really emphasize and look at this morning is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians for us. So let's go ahead. Chapter, chapter 3, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, here we go. Verse 1. For this reason I, Paul... The prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles dash. And he's about to pray for him, and then he does a parenthetical statement. Now, first of all, who was Paul a prisoner of? Christ. Hold on a second. He's in the Roman, he's in the Roman prison. Isn't he a prisoner of Rome? No, no, no. He's under the sovereignty of God's purposes and plans for him, and he's supposed to be in prison right now. One of the reasons why he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, first of all, is because he wrote a third of the New Testament while he's in prison. Most of his epistles were prison epistles. 
And he wrote this because he's stuck in a prison for uh, a long period of time. And Paul was a goer. He was a doer. He was a church planter. He was starting churches all over the Roman Empire. And he needed to be stuck in a prison to write a third of the New, De- uh, third of the New Testament. So God had a purpose and plan for him to be in prison. And Paul's acknowledging that. Now, I'm not really a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. Because he has this purpose and plan for me while I'm in this prison of writing much of the New Testament. Also, interesting, he's a prisoner for the sake of you Gentiles. You know why? Because when Paul was in prison, you know what he's doing? He was, according to the book of Philippians, we'll see this in a few weeks when we get in the book of Philippians, he was being a witness to the two guards that were chained to him every four hours for a 24-hour period. He'd get a new set of two guards. And you know what Paul would do with us with that captive audience that was chained to him? He'd lead them to Christ. In the book, I mean, they couldn't get away from him for four hours. And Paul would, give, would be a witness for the sake of the Gentiles to these Gentile uh, Roman guards. And then it says in the book of Philippians, the whole Roman palace was filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ because Paul was a witness for 24 hours a day, four-hour uh, segments of two guards apiece, and leading them to Christ back and forth, back and forth. And then they go into the palace and talk about how this Paul had led them to Christ. See the purpose and plan God had for Paul being in prison? He wasn't a prisoner of Rome. He was a prisoner of Christ Jesus for a purpose and a plan. By the way, some of you feel like you're in prison. Some of you feel like you might be in a prison at work. You go to work every Monday and you go, oh, man, TGIF. Thank God it's going to be Friday soon. Man, I can't stand this place. like I'm in prison here. Pastor John, you don't understand how dark it is at work. You don't understand the words they use. You don't understand the dirty jokes they tell. It's awful. Well, you're a prisoner there for a reason. It's for the sake of the Gentiles. Gentiles were pagans. It's for the sake of being a witness in that dark place. Jesus said, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works. And they too may glorify your Father in heaven. Some of you are a prisoner in some other areas. Maybe a prisoner in regards to, you know, the family you got put in. Your extended family is all lost. You go, what, am I, what is this going on? Well, there's a purpose and a plan for that. You're to be a light to those people. And maybe your neighborhood. You may be, everybody's getting crazy in your neighborhood and stuff. And there's all this stuff going on. Well, you might be, feel like a prisoner, but God's got a purpose and plan for you to be in those. And what's the purpose and plan? To be a witness. To shine dark, into the darkness. To be a light for the kingdom of God. Amen? So there's a purpose and plan when we're stuck in circumstances like that. Just as Paul was stuck in prison. And Paul used that time to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ and lead many to Christ. Now, look at verse 2. This starts the parenthetical statement. If indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, the Greek word there for mystery is mysterion. It literally means something that was concealed in the Old Testament that's now revealed in the New Testament. We talked about it last week with Pastor Mike. You remember what that was? The mysterion was this, that the Gentiles now that were regarded by the Jews as pagans, and they were, as a, for the most part, these Gentile pagans now were coming into God's people and were becoming a part of God's household and God's people. Now, that was a mystery to the Jews because the Jews to this point, especially during Jesus' time, regarded pagan Gentiles as logs for the fire of hell. 
They didn't, they didn't want anything to do with the pagan Gentiles. The Jews, Jews, they had a policy in the first century of Jesus' time that if you were a Jew, an Orthodox Jew, and you bumped into a Gentile in the marketplace, you had to go home that day and do a ceremonial cleansing so you wouldn't be unclean because you had contact with the Gentile. Jews would never eat with Gentiles because eating was a form of fellowship and becoming one with other, other people, and they never wanted to have that connection with pagan people. And now... The Mysterion, the mystery at the end of God's age here with the church is these pagan Gentiles were going to become what Jewish Christians, one body and one people, the people of God. And that's a Mysterion. That's a, something that was concealed in the Old Testament, now revealed in the New Testament. So he goes on with this, and he says, verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. And here it is, the Mysterion. Concealed in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament, to be specific that the Gentiles are what? Pagan Gentiles. Fellow heirs. They're going to inherit the kingdom of God. They're going to inherit heaven, just like you Jewish Christians. And you Jews are going to inherit and have that inheritance. Fellow members. Gentiles. Fellow members of the body. Fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. They're going to be a part of partaking the saving that happens through the Messiah, the Messiah. Verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me according to the working of his power. To me, Paul says, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Now, question, why is Paul the least of all the saints? This is the great apostle Paul. This is the greatest missionary the church has ever seen. This is the one that brought the gospel to the whole Roman Empire and started Christianity as we know it throughout the whole Why would he call himself the least of all the saints? Yeah. Book of Acts tells us. Persecuted the church. He was breathing murderous threats, stamping his way to Damascus with the idea of killing and persecuting and imprisoning Christians. When the light of God's grace awoke him up and struck him to the ground. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, the one you've been persecuting. We know from the book of Acts that Paul actually forced Christians, probably by a sword to their throats, to blaspheme the name of Christ. Imagine living with that. Looking back in your past, you not only did you kill Christians, he gave hearty approval in the book of Acts to the killing of the first martyr of the New Testament church, which was Stephen. They laid the robes of Stephen at his feet, and they killed him with the hearty approval of Saul. You know what this tells me? God's grace can cover anything we've ever done. Don't think you're too bad in any way for God's grace to cover your sin. Question, have you killed any Christians lately? Paul did. And God's amazing grace covered that and used him in incredible ways. Again, to write a third of the New Testament. To be the greatest missionary the church has ever seen. And you know what I've seen too? Sometimes those who have been forgiven much, love much. Sometimes the greatest witnesses are people that, man, hey, they got some dirt in their past that the blood of Christ had to cleanse and wash away. And now they just love Jesus because Jesus has covered that for them through the grace and through his death on the cross. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Am I the only sinner around here that feels wretched sometimes because of stuff in my past? And God's grace is so good. 
So good. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a bunch of wretches like us. We once were lost. Now we're found. We were blind. Now we see God's grace. Amazing grace. Hey, if it, if it ain't amazing, it ain't grace. Because God's grace is amazing. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So it says, uh, back to our verses, it says in verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That's angels. Angels didn't know about this whole plan. It was concealed uh, from them too. When Jesus came to this world and took on human flesh, God took on human flesh. It says in 1 Peter, the angels were longing to look at this whole thing. They were amazed. When Jesus Christ died on a cross, man, the angels didn't know about that ahead of time. And they were just amazed, I believe, and and confounded at the whole plan of redemption that unfolded. Verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Question, how do we have boldness and confident access to a holy God as sinful people? There's only one way. That verse tells us what it is. What is it? What's the only way we have access boldly and confidently to a holy God? It's faith. Faith. 200 times in the New Testament, the only way we have access to a holy God and to be saved is through a personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other way. No other way. Verse 13, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart of my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason, now we get to the prayer, into the parenthetical statement. The prayer starts now. For this reason, I, what does he do? I bow my knees before the Father. Now, that's a good position for prayer, by the way, y'all. I, I, and you know what? I had a roommate in college. His name was James Kong. He was a South Korean whose dad was a preacher. And he came over to the States to go to Bible college. His dad did. And he, he became one of my best friends. We were roommates at the University of Illinois. And I'll never forget, James was one of those guys, Asian, super disciplined, intense, discipline. He was, a, he was a brown belt in Taekwondo karate. I learned that in seventh grade when I first met him because I made fun of him and he was just coming over and he had this real strong accent and everything else. And I said, oh, oh, like this. And I started making fun of him and he did a roundhouse kick to my jaw and I was on the gravel in the playground. And I said, you're going to become my best friend. <laughs> Didn't make fun of him ever again. Very disciplined guy. And I remember he's a strong Christian. And I remember him uh, in, at University of Illinois. We had a dorm room we shared together. I'd walk into the room, just open the door, and he'd have his Bible on the ground and his knees on the floor and his face on the bed and be praying. He's bowing his knees before the Father in heaven. I'm going, this guy's intense. And you know what? That's a good position for us for prayer too. Why? It's a position of submission, getting on our knees when we pray, submission, but also kind of hard to fall asleep when you're on your knees, isn't it? Good position for prayer, bowing our knees before our Father in heaven. And then it goes on, and it says, verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Why does every family on earth derive its name from, from God? Because he's the creator. Now, question, is every single family and every single person in the earth a part of God's family? We derive our name from him, every family and every people on the earth. Our origin is our creator, but is every single person a son or daughter of God? No. We've got to get adopted. John 1.12 says, but as many as received him, 
He gives the right to become a child of God, even to those who believe in his name. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 16, talks about that after we come to Christ and put a saving faith in him, we're, we're adopted. And what happens is then God's spirit bears witness to our spirit that we're children of God. And then we have this spirit, not of fear or slavery anymore, but a spirit of sonship by which we can cry out, what? Abba, Father. Go and throw that scripture up there. That's a great scripture, Noah. Romans, Romans chapter 8, if we got it. It's, it's a scripture that testifies to the point that we just don't automatically become a part of God's family. No, no, no. That doesn't happen. We come, become a part of God's family if we get adopted. And then God rescues us and saves us and brings us into his family through the faith in Jesus Christ. And then it goes on, back to Ephesians in our prayer. Every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the what? What's the first thing Paul prays specifically for the Ephesians for us? Strength. And specifically, that God's spirit might strengthen us in our inner man with power. And I like that word power there. When it says that the riches of the glory be strength with power through his spirit in their man. You know what the word power there in the Greek is? Dunamos. Guess what uh, English word we get from that? Dynamite. I like that. God wants to give us dynamite power in our inner man through his strength. Now question, how do we get that? How do we have that dynamite power of God's strength empowering us in every man to be and to do all that God's called us to do. How do we get that? I think there's four tools God gives us. Four tools that God allows us to have in our toolbox to be strengthened with power in our man, man with, his, with his power and strength. Here's the first tool. And we do it every Sunday, every Wednesday. We do it a lot here at Calvary Chapel. It's through God's word. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Amen? And you can't have strength with power in your inner man if you're not feeding on God's word. Not just Sundays, not just Wednesday, but on a daily basis. First John 4, 19, or, or 2, 2.14 actually says this. That's a great verse on this. It says, I've written to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you're, you're what? What is it? Right there. What is it? Strong and the word of God how do you get strong? By the word of God abiding in you, and you've overcome the evil one. That's a great verse. You know, this whole thing I went through with these two surgeries the last two and a half months, man, it, it, it was tough. It still is tough. I'm still healing up, everything else, but there's, there's some real easy times with this. I've never had something long-term like this that wouldn't go away with the pain and the recovery and the healing stuff. And so one of the things the Lord told me during this time, John, you've got you to stay in God's Word and be in God's Word and cling to God's Word as you're going through this healing process so you don't get discouraged and you stay strong. And the Lord gave me three scriptures, and I've quoted them hundreds of times, and I'm going to keep quoting them. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then another, First uh, John 4.4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. And then Isaiah chapter 53 says, by his stripes, I'm healed. And man, I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm like a broken record. I've been quoting those verses for the last three months over and over and over and over again. And there's power and there's strength that comes from God's word. And, and I'm honest with you, I've needed that because there's times where it's been tough. I'm used to just 
You know, I'm like the, I've had 50 some years of, of when there's a health issue, it goes away in a day. And this is a whole new deal for me. To, to, and I've, I've had to go back to God's word and it's, it's got to become a part of that. It gives me strength in my inner man. Second way that we get, we get power and strengthen in our inner man is prayer. The very thing Paul's doing for these Ephesians. Prayer. Jesus said, abide in me and I will abide in you and you will produce much fruit. But he also said, apart from me, you can do I looked up nothing in the Greek. You know what it means? <laughs> nothing. You can't have strength apart from abiding in Jesus. Prayer. In prayer, listen, prayer isn't just to change things. Prayer is to change you and me. And when we pray, changes happen. Circumstances get changed. There's power and there's effectiveness. But that power and effectiveness also is to help us be strong. There's strength in prayer. Hey, if you haven't seen War Room, that movie, you need to see it. But there's a great scene in War Room. And it's, it's the lady that's praying for that family that's struggling. And she's, she's praying, and she's praying a prayer of power. And let, let me tell you something. Private prayer leads to public power. And this is such a good scene. I'm going to show it to you. Can I show it to you right now? Yeah. All right, let's, let's watch this. This will inspire you to be more of a person of prayer that gets strengthened in your, in your inner man. Watch, this lady can pray. Watch this. done it again Lord you've done it again you are good and you are mighty and you are merciful and you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it praise you Jesus you are Lord give me another one Lord Guide me to who you want me to help. Raise up more that will call upon your name. Raise up those that love you and seek you and trust you. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. Lord, we need a generation of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel. We need an army of believers, Lord that hate to be lukewarm and will stand on your word above all else. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. I pray for unity among those that love you. I pray that you open their eyes so that they can see your truth, Lord. I pray for your hand of protection and guidance. Raise up a generation, Lord, that will take light into this world, that will not compromise when under pressure, that will not cower, Lord, when others fall away. Raise them up, Lord, that they will proclaim that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. Raise up warriors, Lord, who will fight on their knees. 
who will worship you with their whole hearts, Lord. Lord, call us to battle that we may proclaim you King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray these things with all my heart. Raise them up, Lord, raise them up. Wow, that'll preach. <laughs> that'll preach. So there's power in that. As we become people of prayer, we not only we change circumstances and power and change happens through prayer, but power and change happens in us. Amen? And then there's another tool God uses. We're doing it right now too. Fellowship. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day draws near. You can't be a strong Christian and be disconnected to Christians. There's a synergy that happens when you're connected to other Christians. I call it osmosis. Uh, my wife's a, a science teacher, but I think osmosis is it just kind of, it kind of goes from one thing to another thing, and it, it, it penetrates, right? And the, the, when there's a fire in other Christians, that there's a fire for Christ, you, you connect with them, that fire grows in you too. Osmosis. So fellowship, very important if you want to be strengthened with power in your inner man. And then the last thing, what we did this morning too, worship. God's spirit inhabits the praises of his people. And there's no way you could be a strong Christian and not be a man or a woman of worship. It's a part of being a strong Christian. And having strength in your inner man is coming into his presence, being with God's people and worshiping him. i got a pet peeve, and that's for Christians who say, I'm fine without church. I don't need church. I'm just going to be my own church. i got church out on my bass boat on Lake Murray. I'm fine. No, you're not. You need to be a person of worship that comes together corporately with God's people, and there's power and there's strength in your inner man that gets dynamite power happens through being the synergy of being with God's people. You know, Heidi and I, every night we do devotions before we go to bed at night. And what we've been using lately is Billy Graham's devotional. It's wonderful. It's a 365-day it's a, a devotional where he does one, just one simple scripture, and then he shares his heart, and then he has a prayer at the end. And I, I'm, I'm a Billy Graham guy. I just love Billy Graham. He's one of, my, one of my heroes. I can't wait to get to heaven. I might even get to meet him. I want to. I want to spend time with him when we get to heaven. But one of the things I've seen in Billy Graham as I've seen his heart through these devotions, as we go through these devotions every night, is the man was a, he just, what made him tick, what, what flavored his life was God's word, prayer, being with God's people, fellowship, and what we're talking about here too, he's a man of worship. He loved to worship God. That's one of the reasons why he lived up in the mountains. Just love to sit on his back porch and just see the glory of God's majesty in the Blue Ridge Mountains and worship him. And you know what? I've never met a strong Christian that was really a strong Christian that wasn't committed to these four things. I've never met someone that really had the strength of God's power actively working in their lives that wasn't either a man or woman of, of God's word, prayer, fellowship, and being in church with God's people. You can't do it. You can't in this cursed, filthy world. You can't be a strong Christian without having that power that comes from those four tools. So let's go on now. So the first prayer request is that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power 
through his spirit in the inner man. So here's the next thing. Here's the next thing he prays for, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through what? Now question, these Ephesians are Christians. Isn't Christ already dwelling in our hearts through faith? Well, here's, here's the answer to that. The word dwell there in the Greek is okios. Okios means to be made at home. And the second thing that Paul's praying for with the, with the Ephesian Christians here and for us is that we might live a life in such a way that Christ is dwelling in our hearts or at home in our hearts. That we might be thinking the things we should be thinking, living the way we should be living, going to the places we should be going to, and saying the things we should be saying in such a way that we're not grieving Christ in our heart that we're not quenching the work of his Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean you need to be perfect? No, good luck with that. Ain't gonna happen, you're gonna make mistakes, you're still someone who has a sinful nature, but we're to be people, according to the word of God, that are pursuing holiness. Pursuing a life where, where Christ could settle down and be at home in our hearts, because we're careful. We're careful in the places we go to. We're careful with the people we hang out with. We're careful in the, the, the conversations we get involved with with our words. We're careful in the lifestyle we choose to live. It's a scary thing going on in the church right now in our culture, especially here in the United States. And that is there's, there's, a, there's a compromise in a lot of churches in our culture to, to become more worldly so we can reach the world. To make compromises in moral standings. To make compromises even in things that the word of God is very clear on. To adapt to the culture rather than to change the culture. Now the question is this. If, if you make compromise to be more worldly to reach the world, have, have you reached the world or did the world reach you? The world reached you. Talk to Christians that say they have a bar ministry. I'm going to go to the bar. And I'm going to drink with my friends. And be a witness to that. Really? No. Be, be a witness to them outside the bar. And if you're compromising with, with worldly people and being worldly with them, trying to reach them, they're reaching you instead of you reaching them. Be different. The Bible says we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, called out of darkness into his marvelous light to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his light. We're to be different. We're not the compromise to reach the world. Now, does that mean we don't relate to it? No. Paul says I become all things to all people to reach. But don't compromise morality, though. Relate to them, maybe in their interest with sports or whatever else, but don't compromise. Otherwise, Christ isn't going to be at home in your heart because of the compromises you're making. Amen? Stepping on some toes here. All right. No, the Word of God is stepping on some toes here. And, and so let's keep going. Second thing he prays for, that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith. Now, next thing he prays for them, that they might be rooted and grounded in what? Love. Agape. <laughs> I'm a city boy from Chicago. I know nothing about gardening. I know nothing except that if I try to plant something, it usually dies. I don't know anything about this stuff. But I know a guy. I know a guy. I know a guy. And that's why we have a beautiful campus with all kinds of beautiful things around here. And the people I talk to that know about planting and know about landscaping and everything else, they say the way that trees and plants and everything stay healthy is their roots go deep into the nourishment of God's soil. And as they get rooted into God's soil, that tree, that bush, that flower is healthy and strong. You know, another thing that Paul's praying for the Ephesian Christians and for us, we get rooted. 
We get healthy because our roots are going deep into God's love. And how do we do that? Well, there's a couple ways that we get rooted and grounded in God's love. First of all, we cultivate an abiding relationship with the source of God's love, and that's Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If any man abides in me, I'll abide in what? In him, and he will produce much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you want to have a life that's being filled with God's love, you need to be a person that's abiding in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. And that gets back to prayer, doesn't it? There's a great book I recommend you read if you want to learn more about having more of an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. It's called Practicing the Presence of God. It's, it's written by a monk from the 16th century. And it was, his name is Brother Lawrence. And what Brother Lawrence would do is he learned the power of just having this ongoing abiding relationship with Jesus Christ to the point that when he was doing the chores for the monastery, doing the dishes, doing the uh, landscaping or the planting or whatever else, he just kept talking with Jesus all day long. You know, the Bible says we're supposed to do that. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Just have an ongoing relationship with, with God because he's the source He's the source of being rooted in God's love. Jesus Christ is. He's the source of, of having a life filled with love. And by the way, we need that. We need God's love in our lives. We do. We need it for our marriages. Uh, wives, can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Husbands, can you say amen to that? Amen. We need to be rooted in God's love to have healthy, strong marriages. We need to be rooted and grounded in God's love for our parenting. You know what? It's tough raising kids in this culture. And we need to have an abundance of God's love flowing through us like we're a conduit. Because you know what? Our kids oftentimes aren't going to care how much we know until they know how much we care for them and love them. You know, I had the opportunity to go up to uh, Greenville and see my granddaughter this week. And oh, we had fun. She's a hoppy, man. She's just a ham. And we were up there and I was sitting with my oldest son and his daughter and our granddaughter Adele. And we were, it just made my whole week. And I was thinking, man, this is what it's about right here, the love that's in this family. Because my son and uh, my daughter-in-law, they just love their little girl. This little girl is just a bundle of joy because of the love that she's receiving from her parents. We need to be rooted and grounded in God's love. Amen? Another way we could be rooted and grounded in God's love, Paul goes on, and that is to understand and comprehend God's love for you. Look what it says. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in God's love, verse 18, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you might be filled up to all the fullness of God. You want to be more rooted and grounded in God's love? Come to a greater comprehension of the, of the breadth and the height and the length and the depth on the width of God's love for you. What's, what, let's look at that. What, what's the breadth of God's love for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in should not perish but has eternal life. What's, what's, what's the next thing? What's, the, what's the, huh, the length of God's love? How long is God's love for you? Jeremiah 31.3 says, he's loved you with an everlasting love. It's a love forever. What's the height of God's love? The Psalms tell us as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's loving kindness towards those who fear him. That's the height of God's love. As high as the heavens, that's how much God loves you. What's the depth of God's love? 
Well, the depth of God's love is the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for you that while Christ, or God demonstrates his own love for you that while you're at sinners, Christ died for you. The breadth, the depth, the height, the length, the greatness of God's love, comprehend that. And the Bible says, 1 John, it tells us that, that this, it says, we love because he first loved us. And the more you bask in his love for you, the more you're going to have his love flowing through your life, in your marriages, your parenting, in your witness, in your work. We need that. Let's close up the chapter now. Verse 20. If you're there, say amen. All right, here we go. Two great verses. We call this a doxology in prayer. This is, this is, a, this is the ending of his prayer, declaring the greatness and the power of God. Verse 20, 20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, <clears throat> according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And the church says, Amen. 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 All right, so the last thing he prays for us and for the Ephesian elders, listen to this, very important. He prays for faith. That we might be people, people that believe that God is able, as we sang this morning, to do immeasurably more abundantly beyond all that we can even ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. Are you at that place? I'm not always there. But that's an important place to be, faith. You know why? Being people of faith is important because of Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And what's faith? Faith is an assurance of things hoped for and a conviction of things not yet seen. And we need to be people of faith that believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or think according to the power. And it says he's able to do far abundantly. The word there is a double compound, and it means this. It means super, super abundantly beyond all that we can even ask or think. I like the NIV version. It says God is able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine. Wow. 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 That's, that's how great our God is. Amen? Amen. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's been a fun journey the last 21 years with this church. We've done a lot of stuff. We've, 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 been, we've been blessed as a church. You know what? To start a church from scratch with two adults and four kids, Heidi and I and four kids, and then to see God move the last 20 year, 21 years, to see us, see us getting 10 acres, now we've got 20 acres, to see God give us all these buildings, and we're debt-free now. God's paid it all off for us, which is awesome. I'm a Dutch guy. That makes my day whenever I think about it. To, to see that we've been able to start a U-turn for Christ, which has helped hundreds of men get set free from addictions to drug and alcohol, and no other church really... Uh, has a program like U-Turn. Well, some of the other Calvary chapels do, but very few. We have the privilege of that. We have the privilege of, 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 of having all these, all these things going on within our fellowship, people getting saved and people being changed by the glory of God and by the Spirit of God. Now we're building an outdoor amphitheater where we're going to have outdoor baptism and outdoor services. And, you know, I remember when we first built this building, um, it was 15,000 square feet, and my sister came to the grand opening on Easter Sunday, and then we had the Easter dinner with my sister Heather, and, and I remember her asking me after we were through this, because she knew the, the, how much work it was putting all this together with this new building and stuff, and we had Easter dinner at her house, and she said, oh, are you done now? 
some big sister, she's always watching out for me. She goes, you, I mean, you, you got a big enough sanctuary. Are you finished now? I mean, are you going to do anything? Are you, can you just not do it? And she was basically telling me to put the brakes on and not keep going forward. And, and are you done now? And I, I, I didn't say it to her, but in my spirit I said, hey, we're just getting started. Amen? We're just, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. Because God, God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. And you know, it's true for your life too. God wants to do great things in, in you and through you. He's got big plans for every single person in this room. And you know what? If you're not a believer yet, he, the big, first big, big part of his plan is you get adopted into God's family. You come to Christ. And then you can have this faith that will give bold access to this God who's able to do immeasurably more than you can even ask or imagine. So what are the four things that Paul prayed for, for the Ephesians and for us? First thing, strength, right? Second thing, Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. Third thing, that they might be rooted and grounded in what? God's love. What's the fourth thing? That they might be people of faith. People that think bigger and trust God bigger and have bigger plans because God is able to do immeasurably more than he can even ask or imagine according to the power that's at work within us. Amen? Good chapter, you guys. We get to the whole chapter today. Praise the Lord. That's cool. And, and let's listen. Um, uh, if you're here this morning, too, we have a tradition here at Calvary Chapel on Communion Sunday where we talk about the cross. We go to the communion table. We also talk about the gospel at the end of the service. The gospel is this, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, today's your day. I got, a, I got a baby back there saying amen. Do you hear that? <laughs> Today's your day. Today's your day. And if you've never confessed Jesus as the personal Lord of your life, if you've never received him as we talked about, the Bible says, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God. You get adopted at that point. But if you've never done that, today's your day. Don't put it off, man. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you if you want to confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead so you can be saved this morning. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do another prayer. I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and say, Pastor John, pray for me because I want to confess Jesus as the Lord of my life. If you're here this morning and you want to do that, let's do that together. I'd love to do that with you this morning. And it's just simple. It's just faith. It's not about getting good enough. It's not about, you know, committing, I'll be at Calvary Chapel every day for the rest of my life. No, I'd like you to be every Sunday here, but that's not going to save you. We saw we got bold and confident access through faith in Jesus Christ. That's our, our, one of our scriptures from this morning. If you've never done that this morning, do it. And I'll lead you in a prayer where you could just come to the throne of grace and you can confess Jesus as Lord of your life. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for another Sunday. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be in your word again this Sunday. Your word has power. Your word helps us overcome the evil one. Your word has the ability to strengthen us, to empower us in the inner man. And your word has the ability to save too, Lord. And Father, first of all, I pray for us as Christians that we'd be people that are, are living out these things, Father, that we would be people that, as we saw this morning, are, are people of strength because we're spending time in that relationship with you, Father, in prayer, in your word, with fellowship, in worship, Lord. I pray, too, that we would be people, Lord, that not only have this power and strength in our inner man, but we're people, too, that, the, the, that Christ is dwelling in our hearts and is at home in our hearts because of the lifestyles we're choosing to live according to your word, God. Father, forgive us when we veer from that. Help us to get back to pursuing holiness. 
and pursuing a life that you, you could just rest in our hearts in faith because we're living the way you've called us to live, God. And Father, I pray too that you'd help us to be people that are rooted and grounded in your love. Help us to be people, Lord, that are, are, are people that are, have this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ so we're comprehending the height, the depth, the width, the greatness of your love for us. We're basking in that, and that's love's flowing in us and through us. And Father, I pray too that we'd be people of faith, that believe that you're able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask or imagine, God, according to the power that's at work within us. If you're here this morning and you want to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, you've never done that and you want me just to pray a simple prayer with you where you can say, I want to be a part of this family of God that Pastor John was talking about. I want, to, I want to have this salvation he was talking about. I want to have this love that he's talking about. If you're here this morning, I want to just lead you in a simple prayer where you can confess Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You can believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you're here this morning and want to do that, just raise your hand right now and I'd love to pray for you this morning to make this step of faith. It's important. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. If you're here this morning and want to do that, just raise your hand right now, and I'd love to pray for you this morning. Praise the Lord, right front row, right here. Praise the Lord. Keep your hand up, and I'll pray for you in a second. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Awesome. Best decision you'll ever make. Anybody else? If you're here this morning and you want to confess Jesus as the Lord of your life, keep your hands up, guys, and I'll, I'll pray with you. Anybody else? Here in the back? Praise the Lord. Another gentleman right here. Praise the Lord. All right, I'm going to pray in just one second. If you want me to pray, if you want to confess Jesus is the Lord of life, lift up your hand right now and I'll pray for you. Love to pray for you this morning. Best decision you'll ever make. If you're not sure that you have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, and if you die right now, you're not sure you go to heaven, right now, raise up your hand. Right here. This, this lady right here, praise the Lord. Great decision. Right here in the third row back here too. Praise the Lord. I love it. Anybody else? We're going to pray in just a second. Anybody else? Okay, for those that have their hands raised, I want you to be bold right now. I want you to stand up and I'm going to pray for you right now. Jesus died for you public. You can stand for him publicly. Praise the Lord. Go ahead, stand up. All right, let's pray out loud together, everybody. Let's pray out loud. You can pray with us, church, as affirmation of faith. Lord Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior. I confess you as the Lord of my life. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead and I will live for you the rest of my life. Come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Help me to be the, the follower of Jesus Christ you want me to be by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Praise the Lord, you guys.